If you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 2, stand to your feet, welcome anybody that's joining us online. I'm Mike Patz, I'm one of the pastors here. And we're continuing a series that's about revival and awakening, called The Great Awakening. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5. If you're ready, say, let's do it. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the sound of 120 people speaking in other languages from an upper room, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you, and give ear to my words, these people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, in the last days it shall be, declares God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Let's pray. Jesus, help. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Happy Black History Month. Happy Sunday. I want to talk about diversity. There were gathered in Jerusalem men from nations all across the earth. Elamites and those from Rome, the proselytes and people that were from Crete. There were all sorts of people gathered together. Many of you know that my life was very radically shaped by a revival that took place 100 years ago in Los Angeles called the Azusa Street Revival, led by a man named William Seymour. And this building that I've, I've gone to this address and gone and visited where this place was located, it happened in the early 1900s where there were groups of people gathered together, and when God's Spirit was poured out, there was a supernatural coming together that took place. In fact, the news reports talked about the fact that the, they said that the ease with which the races and genders mingled and mixed was something like a sign that made you wonder. Again, this is 1906. This is during a time when diversity was not ever happening in a room where there was not oppression. And yet, in a movement being led by a black man, son of former slaves, when God's spirit was poured out, something so substantial happened that within a few weeks, it was on the front page of the newspapers in Los Angeles and in California. In fact, it was April the 18th, 1906, that they made it on the front page, which was the same day as the great San Francisco earthquake, which they take, took to be a sign that God was moving. And William Seymour had a great teaching, which was, God can do it again if we will surrender to his way. And church, I just want to say it. God will do it again. I'm, I'm asking, I'm, I'm just letting you know, I am asking, God, send revival to this city, to this state, to this nation, to our families, to your marriages. God, send an awakening 
In the first week of this series called The Great Awakening, we, we described, we defined how we're using this term awakening. And we are, we are saying that an awakening is when Jesus' prayer gets answered. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on the earth as it is in, in heaven. An awakening is when on the earth we begin to experience and realize the realities of what it is that's taking place in heaven. Now, the reason this matters so much, and really this is the essence of this sermon today, is it is not a mistake that when God's spirit was poured out, there were people from a diverse group of ethnicities and nationalities that were gathered together on the day of Pentecost, and they came together. That when God's spirit was poured out at Azusa Street, there was a diverse group of people coming together in ways that no one else in 1906 was ever coming together, and yet they were coming together, and that which no one else could achieve what they found was that the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus can do what nothing else can do. Can I get an amen? <laughs> now, to be sure, bringing diverse groups of people together is, is not an easy thing to do, which, which is what makes this obviously such an uphill battle in the natural. But where I want to go with today's message is simply this. If you want God's will and you want God's kingdom, you're going to have to embrace God's diversity because that's what on earth as it is in heaven looks like. I'm going to say it again because I need you catching this because I am in an age right now where I hear all the black kids want to go to one side of the cafeteria and all the white kids want to go to one side of the cafeteria and all the Hispanic kids go to the one side of the cafeteria and it's absolutely understandable. Everyone I know is exhausted of trying to have to deal with all the diversity and have to deal with people that are, I get it. I totally get it. What I'm letting you know is if what you want is God's will and if what you want is God's kingdom then you're going to have to embrace God's diversity because that's what heaven looks like. If you don't believe me, just take a look at Revelation chapter 7. It gives us a picture of heaven. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. And I love this because they're not whispering. Crying out with a loud voice. And I know there's some of you that don't really like to sing loud. You're like, someone might hear me. I love this. They were crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. In fact, even if you're at home and if you're in person, would you just join me in saying this? In fact, would you join me in saying it loudly? Because that's how it is in heaven. At least once today, I would like all of us to experience what it's like in heaven just a little bit. Even if you're at home, just go ahead and engage for a minute. Ready, set, go. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Doesn't that feel good? And all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. I, I want to live a life that the angels say amen to us sometimes. I mean, I know preachers are kind of famous for, you know, when, when their sermon's kind of struggling, they'll do one of those little talk back, hey man, can, can I get an amen? Translation, the preacher might have lost track of where he was and... <laughs> he needs a little help. <laughs> Take it from someone that needs help. <laughs> but, but imagine the people 
in heaven that have been saved, they say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels say to them, amen. I want us to live lives and sing songs that the angels say, amen. I'm going to say it again. If you want God's will in your life, and you want God's kingdom to come in your life, then you're going to have to embrace God's diversity because that's what it's like in heaven. Now, that sounds good, but if you followed the NFL in the last week, you know this is a challenge. Diversity is quite the challenge. If you just look around at our world right now, it's pretty obvious that diversity is quite the challenge. I married a Puerto Rican. I married someone that's from Puerto Rico. Her first language is Spanish. It is not English. There's been many, uh, many difficulties over the years because of the cultural distance between her heart language of Spanish. And, and even though I speak Spanish, it's not my heart language. She speaks English. It's probably not her heart language. Her heart language is Spanish. Mine is English. Her heart culture is one where on Christmas Eve, she gets excited when people are knocking on your door at 3 o'clock in the morning and banging pots and pans and saying, feed us. We're here. What's it called? Paranda. I, I, I want to, I come out with a knife, you know. <laughs> Someone's knocking on my door at two in the morning. I'm ready to get up in the morning for Santa to arrive, you know. And she, it's like, a, it, it, I'm like, wait, what is this? She's like, Michael, this is heaven. This is what I love. We, we have to feed everybody. There's like 30 people in my house. Like, feed them all. I'm like, we don't have enough. The Lord will multiply. I'm like, What? this is a thing? She's like, oh, this is the greatest thing. Where do we go from here? We go to the next house. What do they do? They feed everyone. I'm like, we're going to gain eight pounds in eight hours. There's been many cultural differences. I remember even when I was trying to pursue her, and there were people that got on her case and said, you should not date him because you are unequally yoked with someone that's not of your race. And, and I, I just remember like the, the, the feelings that you could, you could have of, so, so what I want to let you know is I'm calling us today to understand that if, you, if we are going to be a part of a great awakening, that means it's got to be on earth as it is in heaven. And up in heaven, there is a, a unified, diverse, heaven is not where God saved one group of people or another group of people. And there is no evidence that all the white people are over there and all the brown people are over there and all the black people are over there and all the yellow people are over there and the green people are The evidence is they come together in the name of Jesus and that name does what nothing else does. That it just seems to alter people. But how do we do this in the real world? So I want to give you some thoughts from this first Pentecost because I want us to be like those early Pentecostals. How do we get diversity in the real world? Number one, I think you're going to have to look for the beauty. Look for the beauty. Right here in verse 5, it says, Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And they came together and they heard this sound. They were bewildered because they heard them speak in their language. I want you to see the beauty of all the nations under heaven. There, 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 were, there were people that looked like this and people that spoke like that and people that ate food that was like this. They came together, but until you see the beauty, you're not going to get it. I was reading a book by the presiding bishop over the, or the one that's presiding in leadership over the Anglican Church in America, and he was describing how he became a, an Episcopalian priest, and 
It went back to the 1940s where his parents, who were Baptists, his mother had begun to go to a, an Anglican church. And if you've ever been to an, anybody grow up Anglican or anyone go to like a liturgical Anglican, you know, Catholic, anything like that. And they would go up and of course in the middle, of, and I did, when I was a kid, I went to an, uh, to an Episcopalian church. And you, you go up to the front in the middle of the service and you take communion there on, with a common cup. There's a common chalice. I always liked it as a kid because it felt like a snack break. I mean, I felt like the, ser- the services were unbearably long. They were like 40 minutes or 35 minutes. I'm like, this is just too long. You know, I never imagined I would grow up in prolonged services myself. <laughs> and you go up and you, and you take a common chalice and, and you take the cup and they wipe it and then they hand it to the next person and they drink. So the mother brought the father, is, again, it was the 1940s in, in the United States of America, and she's getting ready to go up and, and the, the father's like, wait a minute, you're going up and they're like the only black people in this predominantly white church. And she's going up, and he was very suspicious that the priest was even going to bring the cup and, and serve her. But so he just kind of sat there, and he watched as she goes up. And sure enough, she went, and she knelt down. And sure enough, the priest walked up, and he gave her the same chalice that he had given everybody else. To which she's then wondering, yeah, but are the people after her going to drink after her? And much to his surprise... The people after her also drank from that same cup. To which he said, any church where blacks and whites drink from the same cup knows something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any church where the blacks and whites drink from the same cup, they know something about the gospel. And and it it was beautiful. And it was compelling. And they've been Anglican ever since. Church, our world is waiting for the examples where the people drink, and I know this is COVID, so this is a bad illustration at the moment. (laughs) But where the people drink from the same cup. And people say, what does this mean? And our answer is Jesus. And when people that are politically different come together, and the answer is because of Jesus. And people that have different backgrounds where I don't get you and you don't get me, but we both get him and he helps us get each other. And there is a beauty when people come together under the name that's above all the other names because in heaven there is only one name that's above them all. And that is the name of Jesus. And there's a beauty when you see this coming together. I read a book called The Diversity Bonus. And the idea was if you own a business, there is a bonus you get to diversity. Not at first sometimes. Sometimes it takes a minute. You may have to train someone. It'd be easier to hire someone that looks just like you. It's easier to be in a church full of people that look just like you. It's easier to have a friend group full of people that are just like you. Because God knows it's exhausting to be out there in the real world where then when you come, you just want to be able to go somewhere where you don't have to explain yourself, and you can just let down your guard, and you can tell whatever jokes you want to tell. I've I've had Hispanic people say that about gringos, white people, black people say it about whoever, Asian people say. What I'm saying is, I get it. It's exhausting. It is hard, but if what you want is God's will, and if you want is God's kingdom, then what you must embrace is God's diversity because that's what heaven is like. And we're supposed to pray that it's on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, this is not a call to assimilation. I want you to notice that in heaven, people don't cease speaking their language. 
Heaven is not the place where all the languages become one. Heaven is the place where everyone is understood, but you still speak your language. You still have your culture. You still eat your food. You still, I, I assume, I assume that the wedding feast of the lamb is going to be probably, you know, maybe no, un, I, don't, I don't know if there's unclean foods there, but I think there's going to be, a, your personality remains intact, but redeemed. Your culture remains intact, but redeemed. You don't stop being black or white or Hispanic to go to heaven. Your culture gets redeemed is what happens. Now, this is a big deal because oftentimes what diversity functionally means is I want other people to act just like me. That is not diversity. That's injustice. Diversity is more like a salad than a soup. In a soup, all the flavors blend into the same mush, okay, when it's sat there for a couple days. It's more like a salad. In a really good salad, there's crispy romaine lettuce and wonderful dark green spinach. And I would never put kale because kale is an evil vegetable. I would keep that out, but, <laughs> but green peppers and, and, and red peppers and orange peppers and yellow peppers. I love peppers and, and, and onions and, and you get all that and, and you eat it and, it's, and, and, and you can actually taste the uniqueness of the ingredients together. The colors and flavors and smells are unbelievable, but they don't cease being them. The diverse church God longs for. The diverse church we want to be is one where you get to be you. You don't have to try to be who someone else wants you to be. You be you to the glory of God. Number one, you get diversity when you, can, when you look for and find the beauty of these cultures. Number two, starting in verse six, at this they, they, they came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak his own language. Verse 8, how is it that each of us hears in his own native language? And then down there in verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I found Andrea's words about one of the missionaries that, that you guys helped send out when they brought the language to a tribe in Cambodia and their, and I love the word she used, their heart language. When they heard the word of God for the first time in their heart language. The second thing I wanna say today is if you're gonna have diversity, we're gonna have to find a way to connect with the heart before we try to correct people's heads or their minds. How is it we hear them speaking our own language. Now, it mentions there were native Jews and proselytes. Now, this isn't it. Let me, let me try to tease this out real quick. This whole notion of speaking in tongues becomes so controversial in people's minds, completely unnecessarily. Everyone freaks out like, oh, what's up with tongues? To which I always would hear people say, especially when they tried to explain tongues away, it's no longer for today. They needed it back then to understand the gospel, to which I would say that's nonsense. They had a language that all of them spoke, which was Greek. In fact, Peter is going to get up after the tongues get spoken in the rest of Acts chapter 2, and in Greek, he's going to present the gospel where he will tell us that there is a need for sinners to be saved by a Savior whose name is Jesus, who died on a cross and was buried and rose from the dead, and he's alive, and, and you need to turn and put your faith in him and repent and be baptized. He's going to say all of those things. That's not what the tongues were. The tongues, please, please catch this. Lord, please help me make this clear. The tongues were not for the purpose 
of making the gospel understandable, the tongues were for the purpose of letting the people know that they are understood. Wait, I know that dude speaks Greek and, and he could preach to me in Greek, but I hear them speaking my language. I hear him speaking my language. I hear him speaking my language. Friends, I need you to understand this. God didn't just give them tongues simply to do a miracle, although it is miraculous. It wasn't simply so they could pray better, although it certainly helps with that. And it was certainly not so that they could understand the message in their head. They had a language that could hit their head. It was called Greek. He had them speak in their heart language because three times in four verses, they, wait, is that, isn't that our own language? That's my, friends, I need you to catch this. It's not just, the gospel is not just to be understandable in someone's language. I need you to know, God understands you. God feels you. God gets you. Which is why if we're going to have diversity, and if ever there was a need, I think that we need this right now more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. If we're going to have diversity, we have to commit to try to connect with people's hearts before we try to correct their heads. Peter will get up in Greek and tell them to repent. He's going to bring correction. There is correction that our nation needs. There's correction that your family needs. There's correction that your friends need. There's correction that your children may need. But parents, let me give you a word of wisdom. You want to raise kids right? Connect with their hearts first, and then you can correct their heads. When you've connected with their heart, then you can correct their behavior. But if you don't have my heart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you back and I'm going to freeze out your words. And I keep on watching people surprised. That, Man, I don't get how people didn't understand. My, my whole little echo chamber loved everything I said on social media. Yeah, because you were speaking their heart's language. But if you're trying to convince this guy over here, guys, I'm just, it's just a wisdom principle here. You've got to connect with the heart before you try to connect the head. You just have to. And that's what God did. Wait, God speaks my language? Just so we're clear on this group of people that's in, in Jerusalem at the time, some of these were native full-blood Jews. A lot of these are proselytes. He uses the word proselyte. What was a proselyte? It was a Gentile by birth that converted to Judaism, and in their attempts to be a faithful Jew, they have now decided that what they're going to do is, is I'm going to go to the feast just like we're supposed to come. But when they came to Jerusalem full of all these faithful Jews, when you're a proselyte, when it's very obvious by culture, by language, by background, you're like an unclean Gentile, you already feel like a total second-class citizen. Do you understand? Do you know what it feels? Have you ever been in a room when you felt very not understood and then someone gets you or someone feels you? Have you ever been in a meeting where you try to express your opinion and it's clear no one's connecting and then someone's like, wait, I hear what you're saying. It feels so liberating when someone understands you. I don't think God had them speaking in tongues just so they would understand. I think it's a, that they knew that they were understood. Let me, obviously, there's so many things. God does many things at once. Let me, let me just read you something about this from the Jewish rabbis. According to Jewish tradition found in the writings of Tiferet Yisrael, we are told that when God spoke at Mount Sinai, which would have been on the first Pentecost, it was the exact same day that the Spirit was being poured out, when he spoke, 
The commandments split into seven parts, and then again they split into 70 parts, corresponding to the 70 languages of the 70 nations. A well-known midrash, which is a Jewish commentary on scripture, Shemat Rabbah, which in Hebrew means the great exodus, records, chapter 5, verse 9, on the occasion of the giving of the Torah, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but they actually saw sound waves as they emerged from the Lord's mouth, and they visualized them like a fiery substance. Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp and came back to every Jew individually. Now, this is not a Christian source. This is a Jewish source. It goes on to record Rabbi Yohanan saying, God's voice, as it was uttered, split up into 70 voices in 70 languages so that all the nations should understand the way and the truth and the life, the Torah of God. The number 70 in Scripture is usually associated with the nations. How incredible is it that in rabbinic literature that has nothing to do with Jesus, predates Jesus, that when God's voice appeared, there was something that looked like fire appearing on people's heads, which they can, took as the sound waves of God. This is way before anyone knew anything about sound waves, let's say, hundreds and thousands of years ago, so that when the day of Pentecost came and that same thing happens again, it was almost like God was saying, I came to the children of Abraham and said, I'm giving you my way. I'm giving you my truth because By the way, Jews considered the way, the truth, and the life to be the Torah. They called it the Torah. They would say God's Torah or God's law is the way, the truth, and the life. Can you now understand that when Jesus stands up in John 14 and says, I am the way and the truth and the life, he is letting them know, I am the Torah of God. That when God gave his original Torah, it was on the outside of them. And he told them, I've made you and I've given you this law. And it was never just for one type of people. It was never just for the Jews. It was never just for the nation of Israel. When you read Isaiah, he says, Israel is to be a light to the Gentiles. A light, and that word Gentiles in Hebrew is the word nations. In Greek, we get the word, it's ethnos. We get the word ethnicities. You're to be a light to all the ethnicities. But Israel never did it. And the prophets came and said, there's going to come a day when I'm not just going to give them a law on their outside, but I'm going to write my laws on their inside. And it's going to come when my spirit comes upon them. And friends, when the spirit came upon them and got inside of them, and then at Azusa Street 100 years ago, the track record of since Azusa Street, the gospel has exploded to the nations. Just so we're clear. See, what I'm trying to tell you is, when God gave this connection of tongues to, to realize, wait a minute, God wants to amaze people by the fact that we speak their language And I do believe in speaking in supernatural tongues. And I do believe in interpretation of tongues. And I do believe in the gifts of the Spirit. What I'm telling you is God is doing so many things at the same time. One of which is there is a world that is dying for people that get into their lives. And they say, wait a minute, you get me. I've been pretty fascinated by this guy James Baldwin in recent days. I've just, you know, there's a special on, he's got a special on, I think it's on Netflix and, um, a very fierce civil rights leader, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And uh, obviously, you know, very, very strong words that he speaks. And I've, I've just been very fascinated by him because if any of you have ever read him, listened to him, studied him, whatever, it's, there, there's, there, there's uh, most people that would have a, a hue of their skin color like me were very, obviously very resistant toward James Baldwin throughout his career and activism. 
But, but what really strikes me when I, when I listen to him or when I read his things is how much he resonated. And the way he got a following was people would say that Martin was the preacher of the civil rights movement. They would say he was the poet. And when he would speak and when he would write things, there was a, a way in which they would say, oh, man, man, you get me. You, yes. He would speak and, they, and, and people would resonate and say, oh, mm, that's how we feel. And even, even Christians that, even, you know, black Christians that were like, hey, there's a lot of parts of his life that we cannot accept it. They would just be like, Man, but he's just speaking the truth. It is you're speaking my language, Jimmy. And so I was talking to a friend recently, and and he was just kind of standing off, and and I was just describing how you know I there's just a lot of things I didn't learn in in public school. I, I mean I I didn't learn about lynchings in public school. I didn't learn about. I never knew like they advertised the lynchings and thousands of people came and they were, it, it was entertainment and Jim Crow and redlining and Tulsa Massacre. And I, and, and I was having this conversation and, and my friend looks at me and said, wait, you know about this stuff? I said, yeah. He said, well, you're speaking my language. Wait, you speak my language. Don't, listen, I don't even pretend that I get it. What, what I'm telling you is, I can try, and I can go get myself educated. I can at least read things, you know, that I'm, maybe I didn't get in 10th and 11th grade. And there was connections. Like, wait, 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 you're, you're going to speak my heart language? Some of you work with people that have been desperately abused by spouses or parents. There's some of you that are in this room right now that lost loved ones at very vulnerable times. And there's a way in which you, you kind of don't know what it's like to feel that way unless it happens to you. And there's a need in our world. There's a need in this room. There's a need to speak each other's heart language. And I get it, man. There's, there's so much correction that's needed. I'm just telling you, friends, you will never correct someone's head until you have first connected to their heart. And it means the world to me that we have a God who so loved us that he didn't stay aloof and distant, but he came down and he gets us. And he spoke our language. And he learned what it was like to be tempted and to be hungry and to be angry and to be sad and to be scared. He knows I'm not saying diversity is easy. What I'm saying is if we want on earth as it is in heaven, we need diversity. You need people that are not like you in your life. Number one, you got to look for the beauty. Number two, connect to the heart before you try to correct the head. But then number three, you got to, at the end of the day, you've just, you got to shift the attention to Jesus. In verse 11, it says, and this is where I just, I just got to preach the gospel to close this thing out with a bang. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I want to be clear about the gospel. Everyone say good news. When the awakening gets lit is when somebody comes and says, okay, wait a minute, Jesus. Can everyone just say his name real quick? Because when this happens, this is when the thing starts to spread. This is when diverse groups of people come together, and it's like, wait a minute. People like you don't hang out with people like that. And it's like, wait, no, no, no. What happens now is in the name of Jesus, they were speaking the mighty works of God. 
Religion is about the futile works of people. Religion is about the, the striving works of people. Religion is about the whataboutisms of people. See, this is why religion doesn't work. See, religion is about like, and even right now, what we're finding in our culture is someone will say, well, yeah, well, this is bad. Yeah, but what about that? Well, yeah, well, this is bad, but there's all this whataboutism. No, see, what happens is it's the gospel is not whataboutism. It's, it's not about that. It's about him. That is the gospel, because in the gospel, watch, there is not a culture in this room that's righteous. There is not a nation on this planet that is righteous. There is not a family that's represented in this church that is righteous in and of itself. We've got righteousness before God because of one thing, and that is called the blood of Jesus makes us clean. That's it. That is it. So any of you that feel ashamed of like, oh, I'm ashamed of the family I came from. Shame is from the devil resisted in Jesus' name. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. Someone tries to shame you, you back it down and you say, wait, no, no, no. I belong. See, this is why they, they heard them speaking the mighty works of God. It's, this, you want to hear that? You say, how is this like heaven? Well, let me give you Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, it says, in heaven, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, this is speaking to Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard Around the throne, the living creatures and elders and the voice of many angels, myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I'm going to say it one more time. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And who was this spoken of that was singing this song, those people from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation under heaven. Jesus died for every hue and every culture and every language group and every ethnicity. Jesus died for all of it, which is why if you want God's will and you want God's kingdom, you've got to embrace God's diversity because that's who he died for. And there is a world that is waiting right now when everyone is split on so, and listen, I get it. We've got to reach the place where we can say, we do not agree on this issue. We do not agree on that issue. But there is something that unites what nothing else does, and that is the Lamb of God who was slain, shed his blood, and has made us a kingdom for himself. Don't be duped by wherever you came from into thinking that you are not to be united with the people of God. If you want to be around people just like you, you will have to go to hell to do it. Because in heaven, well, let me say it like this. I was getting my hair cut. And I go to this barbershop where they're, they're, all, they're all Hispanic. They're all from Puerto Rico. It's not for my wife. Maybe, maybe I'm trying to get points, you know, <laughs> with the people that used to say you were unequally yoked. I'm like, at least I go to a Puerto Rican barbershop, Boricua. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in there. I'm the token gringo in the, in the place. 
And the guy that was in charge of the music had worship music playing. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a song, and it was all in Spanish, in another language, and you don't understand the words, but you recognize the song. So this other family comes in, and they don't speak Spanish. But this family knew the song. And when the song came on, you've got this English-speaking gringo and these Spanish-speaking Puerto Rican barbers in this Brazilian family that we don't even, we're not even saying the exact same words, but we were singing the same new song. I think heaven is the place and I'm saying it because it's literally in the Bible, that heaven is the place where it says, and they sang a new song. Every tongue and every tribe and every language. And it's like we're going to get to heaven, and there's going to be a song. And it's a song that all of us know. And some of you are going to sing it in one language, and some of you move more than others, and some of you have better rhythm than others, and, and some of you have more expression than others. But there's this song that our hearts have always longed for. It's a song that doesn't depend on our own works because you're not saved by works. It's, it's a song where a lot of us have tried to build up our own brands or our own popularity or our own thing, and, and, and it, always, it always falls flat. But there's something in you that you know you were made for God. You know you were made for him. You know things are never so right as when he gets the glory and when he gets the honor that there's going to be this moment when there's going to be myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands and greater than any football game you've ever been to. Every football game you ever saw was like a sign of this. But you're going to look, and as far as you can see that way, and as far as you can see that way, there's going to be all these people gathered together, and, and you're going to walk up to someone and say, what's up, my man? And, and he's going to speak another language, and you're going to get it. And you're going to how do I understand what you're saying? But I, and he's speaking his language, and he's still his color, and his nash, and, all of, and you're looking and looking. And then, all hail King Jesus. And the King of glory is going to show up, and all the eyes are going to see him. And those who pierced him are going to know this is the king of glory. And we're all going to be sitting there. If you've ever watched a movie and you waited for the good guy to do his thing, all of us, it's like we're going to know it and see it, that the, the memory of death, unable to hold him down. I don't know if we're going to see a video. I don't know if it's just going to be, I don't know what's going to happen, but our song is somehow going to be replaying the reality of he who death could not contain him, that sin could not overcome him that the grave could not confine him, and that paying for our sins as a ransom for the many, that the king of glory gets buried, and then he gets raised, and here he is before us, and the one that we've longed for, that, that splinter in your mind, that thing that you've, you've always wanted and, and never been able to put your finger on, and you realize, this is what I've, he is the one I've always desired. His presence has been the thing I've always been looking for. The home I never found on earth, I kept looking for a dream home, and I realized he is my dream home. He is the place that I want to be. He is the joy that I've been longing for. He is the pleasure of all the pleasures. He is all of these things and more. And we're going to be singing this song and it's going to be weird. It's like, how are we singing a, a new song and we're all singing it and somehow our spirits have been tuned to the same pitch and we know 
It's Jesus. And regardless of the language and regardless of the tongue, all of us know it's all because of Jesus. And all of us will know that we've been fully loved and fully known, fully accepted. And we're going to say, what? And the redeemed of the Lord are going to say so forever and ever and ever and ever. And he's going to look you in the eyes. And some of you that are wounded, his look is going to heal you. The Bible says he's going to wipe away every tear. Where were you when that happened, Jesus? And you're going to get it and you're going to know it. And he'll be fully redeemed. But in the meantime, while we're still here, this is your charge. I need us to go sing the song with some people that are different than us down here. You're going to do it in heaven. I'm asking you to do it on earth. I'm asking you to do it on earth. It's not easy being in a church where there's different colors. I mean, there, there's so many things. There's so many cultures. And there's, there's so much potential for offense. I'm asking us, church, what if we become not perfect but willing to be not a soup but a salad and to let Jesus do on the earth just like it is in heaven? Maybe that's a microchurch. Maybe that's a friend. Maybe that's a conversation in the lobby today. But when you leave this place, when you go out into this world, I want to show a, a world where very different people in very different ways sing the same song because we have but one theme, Jesus Christ, the King of glory. We open the gates and we invite you in. Can I get an amen?